This is Real Estate Rookie episode 295. I'm a cash flow buy and hold investor here in Colorado Springs. My wife and I own a few properties and my day job, I still have a W-2 job as a, a underwriter in corporate banking. And this has definitely helped me in, you know, my real estate underwriting and my exotic plants selling side hustle business. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And just like always, we've got an amazing story for y'all today. Um, today, we've got Paul Lee on the podcast, and Paul's uh, an investor based out of Denver. He's up to eight multifamily units right now, or eight units across two multifamily properties, but just a really interesting conversation with Paul. We talk about this $100,000 side hustle with exotic plants. We talk about uh, getting rid of PMI. We talk about his job as an underwriter and how it helped him as a real estate investor. Just so many, uh, I think, good topics from the conversation with Paul today. Paul also breaks down the benefits of using leverage. So if you are a Dave Ramsey fanatic and you are afraid of getting into more debt, uh, Paul gives some really good talking points as to reasons why leverage can actually be beneficial to you, especially as a, an investor in trying to grow your wealth. He also, and this was probably one of my favorite parts of the episode, he also talks about how he got a 10% down commercial loan for one of his four units, which is something you don't typically see. Uh, so make sure you listen for that part. And then he also talks about something called the self-sufficiency test, which I had never heard of before. Um, Ash, had you heard of that before? No, I hadn't. Yeah, it was brand new information for me and Ashley. So I, I love when when we as the host get to learn something new. Um, so just overall, a really amazing conversation with Paul. Uh, but as always, I also want to give a shout out to someone who gave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This person goes by the name Dr. Goldstein79. And Dr. Goldstein says, informative and motivational. The show is so great. They cover a wide range of real estate investing topics in an accessible way. Episode 273 specifically inspired me to try something new. Two months later, I've closed on a deal and I'm excited to get going. Thank you, Ashley and Tony. Um, Dr. Goldstein, kudos to you for, for listening and then two months later actually taking action. That's the whole purpose of our podcast is to motivate and inspire. So if you are part of the rookie community or you've gained any kind of value from our podcast, please take a few minutes and leave us an honest rating review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. The more reviews we get, the more folks we can reach and reaching folks helps us help people, which is what we love doing. Before we do bring uh, Paul onto the show, I do have a little uh, boring banter for you, Tony. I think we should start to incorporate a segment where it's called Guess the Size of Tony's Baby. What object is similar in size? So I was uh, scrolling social media this morning and I saw the cutest post ever of Tony making little tiny diapers to put on a fruit for their display in their kitchen. So everybody think to yourself real quick, what size of a fruit? do you think is Tony's baby right now? Hey, okay. And then Tony, you're going to give the answer. It's the size of a banana. Right now. You got a <laughs> little banana baby sitting on our, on our Island right now, but like all those little apps, you know, like, like we've got the apps to say how your baby's the size of a blank this week. And for whatever reason, our app always, 
talks in terms of fruits. So every week we've been like buying different fruits and uh, the banana is like the biggest one. So yeah, me and Sarah get, get a little creative with the island display every week. And I know you put it on your Instagram, but I don't think you have told our listeners as to what you are having. Oh yeah. Me and Sarah are having a baby girl. <laughs> so the first girl, uh, the first girl in the family. So we're, we're super excited. You know, we, we have our 15 year old son and, you know, I was kind of not hoping, but I was like mentally preparing for another boy just because like I've, I've already done that. I know what it's like to raise a boy. And then when I found out that we were having a girl, I was like, Oh my God, like I gotta, I gotta learn a whole new style of parenting to do this the right way. So, um, we're, we're excited. Well, congratulations, Tony, to you and Sarah. I'm also uh, super excited too to have a little uh, cute little girl co-host come on and, and grab the mic and, and take over from you every once in a while. Yeah, it'll be a good time. We're excited for it. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, Paul, welcome to the show. Can you start off telling everyone a little bit about yourself and how you got started in real estate? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first and foremost, Ashley and Tony, thanks for having me on here. I'm a huge fan. I always listen to you guys when I'm like working on the property, but little bit about me. I'm a cash flow buy and hold investor here in Colorado Springs. My wife and I own a few properties and 
my day job, I still have a W-2 job as a, a underwriter in corporate banking. And this has definitely helped me in, you know, my real estate underwriting and my exotic plants selling side hustle business, which we can get into later. I am very anxious to uh, hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, so let me let me ask, man, just before we, we get too far into the weeds here, what does your portfolio look like today? You said you and your wife have, have a few properties. What does that look like? Yeah, so we have eight uh, units um, and comprising of two properties, two quadplexes. Um, and our main strategy is house hacking. So the first property, and we can get more in the weeds later, but the first property um, we house hacked, and the second property we ended up using a investment property uh, portfolio loan from a credit union, and we were able to put 10% down. So let's go back to when all of this started as to what were you doing in your life where you decided that you wanted to make additional income? Yeah. So I guess going back... Um, you know, I was always surrounded by real estate growing up. Um, my dad and my uncles all invested in real estate. And I had a core memory at a young age of going to one of his commercial properties, seeing something huge and tangible and saying, you know, I want to do this when I grow up. But that being said, I did have kind of a rejection phase in college and high school. And I think this was after or during the great housing recession where I would say, you know, Real estate's too risky. I don't want to be a landlord, things of that nature. And I really had the middle class mindset of, you know, going to college, focus on getting a good job, you know, retiring in 30 years. So what really got me interested in real estate and these side hustles was during COVID, I had uh, three realizations um, where one, you know, we only had one income stream at that time. Um, which is my W-2 job. And, you know, as much as you're loyal to a company or, you know, your workplace, uh, you're just another line in their profit and loss statement and they can just fire you and, you know, you're out of the income. Um, and then as you get farther up in a company, you're more entrenched and you're more involved. So, you know, it, there's more time investment that's required. So I wanted, you know, freedom from a time perspective as well as more income streams and you know at that time we were still renting only had one income and during covid the interest rates were so low um that it just made sense to go into invest in um, real estate and yeah the plant side selling hustle is just some random arbitrage opportunity I came across. Yeah, we, we got to get into the the plant hustle there. Um, but before we do, you, you mentioned something about like the the risk associated with having uh, a single source of income. And I think that's something that a lot of new investors and just people in general, like they don't comprehend very well that just because you have a, a W-2 job doesn't necessarily mean that you're secure. And I... You know, I, I pulled up a, a bunch of, uh, I just Googled tech layoffs 2023, and it shows me by month, uh, all the big tech companies, how many people were laid off every single month. And in April, there were 17,900 people laid off from big tech in April. March, 37,000 people were laid off across big tech in March. February, 36,000 people laid off from tech in, in February. January, 85,000 people laid off in the month of January this year. So just because we we go to school, just because we we get a degree, just because we get a job at this big well-known company that doesn't necessarily mean that you're secure. And I think for most people one of 
the the mo- most responsible things you can do for yourself is build that secondary source of income. So, Paul, I'm, I'm just happy to hear you say that. I just wanted to kind of reiterate that point for all of our Ricky uh, listeners as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, I was looking at multiple you know sources of income. So, real estate. You know, it's funny that when I was growing up, I saw it as a risky investment, but as I got older, I saw it as more of a safety net, a cash flowing real estate property. So yeah, definitely. Just just really quick, Ash, like, you know, obviously economies like all over the place right now and and you know, some industries, some asset classes are getting hit harder than others. Um, how how are your long term rentals doing? Like are you pretty steady year over year? Are you seeing things go up, go down? Like what has it been like for you? Or at least the price of rents have increased so much. Um, we've seen that. But lately, I feel like they've been kind of stagnant. There isn't a lot of room for growth. But we just had three vacancies. And as soon as they were listed, they were rented. And um, two of them moved in within a week. And then the other one is moving in tomorrow, which would be two weeks from when it was listed. Um, so I think that, but also I'm more affordable housing. I don't really have any luxury high end units either. And I think that makes a, a, a big difference too. Interesting. Yeah. Only reason I ask, like our, some of our properties are up year over year, but some of our markets are down year over year. So we're curious to see kind of how, how 2023 is going to, going to finish out. But, um, Paul, sorry, I didn't mean to get you off track there, brother. Let's, uh, let's get back to you and your story, man. So you, you go on this, this journey you said during, during COVID and uh, I mean, what what happens from there? Yeah. So, you know, before real estate, I was selling plants. Um, and yeah, so I guess I can get into the plant selling, how I ended up that, there and why I decided from plants, you know, it was a profitable business from plants, why I decided to get into real estate. So, you know, we were all mandated to stay indoors during covid and if you looked on your social media feeds, there were plants. People wanted to make their interior home look better because they're all working from home. So I was part of that wave. Um, uh, the first plant that I was interested in was a philodendron, philodendron gloriosum. Oh yeah, I know what that is. That sounds like a like a spell from Harry Potter or something, you know. <laughs> like, I should, but but I'm glad you said the name, Paul, because we should probably just clarify for for our listeners that when you say, "Hey, I'm, I'm selling plants and I live in Colorado," people might think of a certain kind of plant. Um, but we're we're not. Paul's not a drug dealer, guys. So we should just say that these are just household plants. Right. Right. Disclaimer. <laughs> um, so yeah, not not plants you find in Walmart or Home Depot, um, really exotic rare plants. But yeah, so I was looking for this plant online and the lowest price was from a wholesaler from South America. Ordered that plant and I must have fat fingered the order. You know, I ordered two. So, you know, as much as I love to keep two of these rare plants, I wanted to sell it. And I listed it online and it sold for two to three times what I you know, purchase it for. So I was like, there's a great arbitrage opportunity here. Um, and I linked an article from Wall Street Journal saying, you know, forget the stock market, the rare plant market is going bonkers. So, you know, I, I saw this opportunity. I reached out to this wholesaler multiple times, had a large stock and this flipping of plant, you know, you're not, you're not just purchasing these plants and, you know, selling them the next day it, because they're being shipped and exported. You have to rehab it. You have to take care of it, make it sustainable for the next person. Um, and so that's kind of what I, the value that I added to the process. And I saw that 
rare plants, you know, they're not going to stay this high. The prices aren't going to stay this high forever. No one's going to pay, you know, $2,000 for three leaves. I mean, objectively, I was standing back and looking at this, no matter how beautiful. So I was like, okay, this is a bit trendy. What can I go into that's stood the test of time? And that was real estate. Um, and at that time, you know, interest rates were, I got an FHA loan for my first property. It was 2.75%. Um, so I was like, this is a no brainer. I'm paying rent. There's this opportunity. I'm going to go for it. Paul, I have to ask, was this plant business lucrative and how much did you end up making off of it? And did you use that to kind of fuel your real estate investing? Yeah. So uh, I looked at my profits the other night. I made about 100,000 net profit to date. Wow. How, how long of a period was this? A couple of years? This was two years. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So I sold 381 plants. So on average... Each plant was about $400 and the profit on each plant was about $262. So quite lucrative. <laughs> isn't it Isn't it wild? Like all the different side hustles. Like we, Paul, we just did a side hustle show uh, that aired not too long ago. And we had a uh, previous guest from the podcast. Uh, one of our guests, he, he like drove DoorDash and, and Uber Eats, but had like a really sophisticated system for like maximizing his revenue. But then one of the other guests, uh, she was couch flipping. And same thing, you know, she was finding couches at a really low price and then just reflipping them to, to other buyers. And you're basically doing the same thing, but with exotic plants. And it just, it just goes to show that there are so many ways to make money that the ability to generate additional revenue, it, it, it's all based on how creative can you get. And if you're not able to generate that additional revenue, it's not because it's not possible. It's just because your eyes aren't opened wide enough to the opportunities. Oh yeah, 100%. There's so many opportunities out there. And you know, instead of saying that you can't make this or you don't have enough money, go pick up a side hustle, whether that's DoorDash, you know, sell exotic plants, you know? <laughs> so Yeah. And just to call for our, our rookie audience, it was show 294 um, where we had uh, our, our guests talking about their different side hustles. So if you want to find some additional ways to, to make some money to fuel your real estate business, obviously exotic plants is one avenue. But if you want to go back and listen to, to our other guests, you can check out 294. Which was just the episode we did this past Saturday. It was released. So not too far to go back. Okay. So Paul, I'm kind of interested in now that you've decided like you want to get into real estate because that is more of a long-term side hustle for you. Was your wife always on board with this? Kind of tell me how you guys built this real estate portfolio together. Where did you start with that? Yeah. So I will say that my wife is super supportive in everything I do. Um, when I first brought up selling exotic plants, she was kind of puzzled. But um, as far as real estate, you know, she was on board, um, which is extremely important for your significant to be on board. Um, but yeah, she was always on board. And uh, nowadays, she uh, does the property management side of things. So we do self-manage our properties. And she handles the day-to-day -day communications. Um, yeah. So with the the property management, is that something you knew from the beginning that you wanted to do to self-manage it? And maybe you could walk us through. I, I definitely want to dive into some of your deals and everything. But with the property management, how did you decide that you guys wanted to self-manage? And maybe you can kind of give us a glimpse into how that business actually works for you. Yeah. So um, I did not always know that we were going to self-manage our properties. You know, when I was modeling for these real estate investments, I included a property management fee in my modeling, but um, it naturally came 
because, you know, I wanted to do the repairs myself. I enjoy doing the repairs, you know, coming from a corporate life. I didn't know how to change a garbage disposal, a water heater. So I would find myself YouTubing these things. So when the opportunity presented itself, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I want to find my tenants. I want to screen. And especially since I'm owner occupying the property, um, I want to make sure I have good tenants. And I'm not saying that, you know, property managers don't care about the tenants they put into the property, but you have, you know, you're invested into this property. You will always care more than the property manager. So we kind of find ourselves found ourselves um, self-managing naturally. Um, I think eventually as our portfolio scales, we're going to eventually, you know, hire a property manager, but we're at that point where we have enough units that, you know, it's manageable by us. So you you said your wife is kind of leading the the, the property management piece for you guys. Um, did she have experience related to property management at all in her W two career, or were there any skills in what she was doing before that kind of translated to the property management? No, so she did not have uh, property management experience prior. You know, she her m- most recent jobs were you know customer service facing positions. Um, but that in itself is extreme, extremely transferable to property management because I firmly believe that, you know, being a property manager and landlording is a customer service focused, um, business. Um, you, you know, you, you want to be responsive to your tenants. You want to make sure you schedule the repairs on time. You know, that really separates the landlords from the slumlords, if you will. And then what about for you, Paul? I mean, you, you talked a little bit about you being uh, an underwriter. Uh, I would think that there's probably some some overlap there between that that W two job and what you do as a real estate investor. But uh, I guess just kind of walk us through how do you feel your your day job has kind of set you up to be a better investor? Yeah, so you know, being an underwriter has definitely helped. Um, Before you even answer that, can you just define what is an underwriter for for rookies that don't know what that that word is? What what is someone who underwrites? Yeah, so an underwriter is someone that looks at. Um, all the information. So for example, I'm a, a corporate business underwriter. So the lender will bring in financials, um, the opportunity in front of me. And then I underwrite the property. I do the modeling, make, and I make sure the company can cash flow with the loan that we're proposing to give to them. I uh, analyze the company from a top-down perspective. So my W-2 job has definitely prepared me for real estate as well as, you know, my side ventures. Um, So an underwriter is essentially someone that looks at all the financials and all the the kind of numbers and the nitty-gritty down to the weeds. And my job is to essentially determine if we should move forward with this opportunity based on my financial modeling and my research, or if we should reject, um, you know, a company for a loan. So, you know, in this kind of mortgage process, you know, you'll have the mortgage lender that makes the relationships, reaches out to the borrowers. Um, they make the connections, go to networking events, and then they hand off the package with the financials to the underwriter. And that's when they, you know, determine, 
does this guy pass the sniff test? You know, should we give a loan to them? Paul, so just a you know, my, just from my own understanding, as a as an underwriter, are there certain um, like either state or federal guidelines around what underwriting looks like, or is it more so subjective based on the individual underwriter? Yeah, so. For the residential mortgage um, side of things, there is, uh, if you go and Google Fannie and Freddie Mae lending matrix, there are, you know, firm guidelines as to what, uh, how much uh, a borrower has to put down for a specific type of property. But on the corporate level, um, you know, I think it's more flexible there. Um I'm not too sure. I'm I'm sure there's some banking regulations that we have to adhere by, but off the top of my head, um, yeah, can't think of any. Paul, do you want to take us uh, through your first deal as to what that looked like? Absolutely. So the first deal um, I got through a commercial broker. Um, it was off market. Um, and we used an FHA loan, put 5% down. And like I said, the interest rate was 2.75%. Their purchase price was 650000 Paul, before you go any further, I just want to find out, like you you said it very nonchalant as to use a commercial broker as off-market deal. Explain that a little more. How do you how do you get that, especially for your first deal? Yeah, it's actually a kind of funny story and a learning lesson for me. So when I first started, um, I didn't know who to reach out to or what to do. So I just went to you know a plain vanilla realtor, a single family home realtor, and I was like, you know, I'm looking to house hack a multi small multi family property. Um, can you help me? And she was like, of course I can. And then later I looked at her track record and she only sold single family homes. But so getting back to the story, she said, of course I can. Um, and throughout the process, I found that she had some skills that were lacking and I was finding all these properties. I was going through LoopNet, I was running the numbers. I was bringing them to her and she was basically writing the offer. Now, I'm not saying she was a bad realtor, but for my purpose, she was not um, a good fit. So we one. So we offered on a property. Uh, eventually, we offered on a property, uh, a commercial property in Colorado Springs. We lost out, but I reached out to the broker that listed the property, and that's how I got connected to him. Paul, that that scenario scenario you gave, I think uh, can resonate with a lot of people, including Tony and I, where we have asked the wrong question. And one thing that I thought of right away when you said, when you asked her if she could help you with that is we've had guests on that say it perfectly as to they learned that you're asking questions the wrong way. You should be asking how many investors have you worked with? How many multifamily deals have you closed instead of because a lot of times people just want your business. They're going to say, yes, of course I can help you. <laughs> so I, I just wanted our listeners to, to know that is one way that you guys can avoid mistakes that we've had is by making sure you are asking the, the right questions. Yeah. Like it's almost like going into a car lot and asking the car salesman, is, is today a good day to buy a car? The answer is always going to be yes. You know, it doesn't matter what's going on. <laughs> yeah. 
But Paul, continue though. So you you say that you you found this, uh, you got connected with this broker, the seal that that you were kind of working on. Um, what what happens from there? Because I I well, first I think a lot of new investors do exactly what you did. Is that they don't even realize that there is a difference between someone who focuses on residential and commercial. So once you kind of got introduced to this commercial broker, what was that dialogue like? Like how did you get to a point where I don't know they were taking you seriously as, as this person that had never done any kind of real estate transaction before? Yeah. So. I think they took me seriously just because they saw that I did submit an offer on the property. So, you know, that in itself shows that I was making offers. Um, so off the bat, he knew I was serious. Um, but, you know, just seeing what his company does, um, you know, they underwrite, well, they don't underwrite, but they make models of these commercial properties. They, you know, try to reach out and get off market contacts. Um, and they're, you know, living and breathing small multifamily and commercial properties day in day out. So, um, when I was speaking to him on what I was doing, you know, he was asking the questions that I really knew that he knew what he was talking about. You know, he was asking me, you know, what, what are you looking for? What's your strategy? What's your buy box? Um, so, you know, I knew that he knew his stuff. Um, and, yeah, it was just as easy as that. Um, and the first property I bought with him, he was representing myself as well as a seller. So he was kind of limited on what he, like how much he could help me because he's representing both of us. So, you know, that's kind of where my underwriting skills definitely had to kick into high gear because I had to be sure of my numbers. I had to be sure of the property, the location. Um, and yeah, uh, Thankfully, everything worked out. So, <laughs> yeah. So when when you say like, be sure of the numbers, be sure of the location, um, is that where your you know your W two skills as a as an underwriter kind of helps facilitate that? I guess walk us through what you took from your day job that you apply to your analysis of of that first commercial property. Yeah. So you know when a commercial broker presents a property to you um, or a you know a rookie, they'll show what the trailing 12 uh, financials are, um, how the company has performed, as well as pro forma figures, pro forma, pro forma rents. So, you know, you can take those pro forma rents into consideration, but what I like to do is take it a step further and see what the people around, what they're renting at. And a really great app that I use is Rentometer um, to see what rents these uh, units are getting. And, you know, I even take it a step further. I go to each of the data inputs on Rentometer. I see what the unit looks like, what kind of property it is. Do I think that I can achieve that? So in short, you know, my skills as an underwriter, I take a more conservative approach um, as far as vacancy allowance, um, repairs. Um, and if it works at that point, you know, I'm not, I'm not hesitating to pull the trigger on the property. I used to think working from home was the dream, until it wasn't. Between the distractions and the solitude, I was struggling. But then I discovered Industrious Office, and honestly, it's been a game changer. Every day at Industrious feels like stepping into a zone of productivity. The high-speed internet never fails me during crucial moments, and the workspace... 
It's not only stylish, but designed to boost your focus and creativity. Plus, the daily breakfast and endless coffees are super cool. Meeting other driven professionals right where I work has not just expanded my network, it's inspired me. It's amazing how being around other focused people can push you to achieve more, you know what I mean? If you're looking for a sign to change your workspace, this is it. Check out Industrious by visiting biggerpockets.com industrious. Then click join now and use the promo code pockets to get a free week of co-working when you take a tour. That's biggerpockets.com industrious and use promo code pockets after clicking join now. Experience for yourself how the right environment can change the way you work. Industrious, it's where your best work happens. Hiring, your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. So on that on that first uh, multifamily, you said it was four units, correct? Yes. And your, your goal was to house hack this. Now, you said you went with an FHA loan. Um, for, for folks that maybe aren't familiar, like how does an FHA loan differ from other types of financing? Yeah. So an FHA loan, um, to summarize is a more lenient loan offered by the government, um, essentially tries to get more people into owning houses. So, you know, they have a lower down payment requirement. Um, their credit score threshold is lower. Um, you know, their debt to income thresholds are higher. So, you know, they real the, the goal of an FHA program is to get first time home buyers, um, into the home, you know, and, and to be able to purchase a home, to be able to purchase a home. What are some of the things that you need to do to prepare to get an FHA loan or that maybe, you need to be mindful of during the process where maybe if you're getting a conventional loan, you don't need to know. Yeah. So for an FHA loan, it's pretty much the same as 
getting a conventional loan as far as, you know, you have to provide your tax returns, your source, your source of income. Um, so from that standpoint, it's completely the same, but there are specific things that rookies and real estate investors that are looking to own or occupy, um, have to be mindful of. So this kind of nugget is extremely important for rookies, um, that are starting out, but if you're using an FHA loan to house hack a triplex or a fourplex, you have to be mindful of the uh, FHA self-sufficiency test. I don't think we've ever talked about that on here, Paul. Yeah, I've never heard about that. Yeah, so if you do a quick scan of this, you know, you'll see me harping on all the, you know, Reddit and social medias about the FHA self-sufficiency test, but basically what it says is that Again, this only applies if you're using an FHA loan to own or occupy a triplex and a fourplex. But essentially, does a hundred so does seventy five percent of the gross rents and these gross rents are determined by an appraiser? Does that pass the pity payments or does that exceed the pity payments? So principal, interest, taxes, insurance. Um, so this test doesn't look at the borrower, how much income they make, what their debt is. They're really just looking at the property itself and seeing if it's self-sufficient because the FHA knows that when people are owner occupying a triplex or fourplex that, you know, eventually you're going to move on. So will the property be self-sufficient on itself? Tell us about, uh, t- your, you said you posted this on Reddit. Yeah. How was that information received? <laughs> yeah. So I posted this on Reddit. And the reason why I'm, you know, saying this on all the forums is because you'll see real estate gurus say that all you have to do is use an FHA loan, house hack a fourplex, and you're golden. But that's not really the case. There's, um, you know, little nuances that someone that has been through the process understands. Um, so, I posted this on Reddit and, you know, a lot of people were thanking me as well as saying, you know, I've encountered this in my, uh, uh, my closing process. Now there's two ways to remedy this, uh, two possible ways. So one, the, the borrower can counter the appraisers determined market rents with their own analysis. And they can say, you know, these, these rents are what I believe based on my analysis, what I believe market rents are. And then two, they can also pay down the the loan or put more equity into the property to lower the debt payments. But at a certain point, you have to really juggle between putting, you know, 20% down FHA loan versus conventional, uh, especially with, uh, uh, you know, PMI payments that an FHA loan typically has. Do you think that part of the reason you figured this out is because of your underwriting background or is this something that no matter who's doing it, they're going to eventually figure out? Yeah. So I think um, it's kind of both. So I think someone that encounters this, they can just be saying, you know, huh, that's weird. Okay, next, I'm just going to use a conventional loan or kind of brush this off. But for me, you know, there's nowhere that... or. Not a lot of um, social media outlets and podcasts talk about this, um, like I said. Um, so I think it's one where I caught this and because house hacking is a strategy that I plan to use in the future, I'm also mindful of this and I want to kind of tell all the rookies that, hey, 
you need a screen for this before you even get under contract on a property on a triplex or fourplex. Yeah, Paul, I guess what I'm, what I'm curious about is like, how can we, how can we give our, our, our listeners maybe like a, a tip on like, Hey, here's how to find the potential pitfalls in your own deal. So how did you, how did you find out about the self-sufficiency test? Was it your lender who came across it? Were you doing your own research about the FHA? Like, like how did you uncover this potential landmine? Yeah. So funny enough, um, the lender that I was working with, you know, I told him the strategy that I was going to use, um, house hacking, using an FHA loan. We found a fourplex and, you know, he said, oh yeah, we can definitely do this. It was the underwriter. So he sent the package to the underwriter and she pointed out that this does not pass the self-sufficiency test. So it was really the underwriter that pointed out, you know, to your question, how can rookies kind of figure out the pitfalls? Um, I would say, you know, speak to people that are breathing this day in and day out. So that could be an FHA lender. Um, versus a lender that does FHA conventional everything under the, you know, under the sun. Um, and, you know, speak to professionals. Um, I will say that during kind of my, my journey of searching for a lender and realtor, I've noticed that a lot of people will say things that, you know, they don't fully understand, but they want your business like we discussed. So they'll say, of course you can do this. Of course we can do that. But in actuality, that's not always the case. So you you go through the the hoops you're able to uh, to close on this on this fourplex. Um, can we can we get some numbers on this deal, Paul? Because I'm I'm curious to see how, how it actually worked out for you, man. So um, what was the what was the purchase price on that first fourplex? Yeah, so the initial purchase price was six hundred fifty thousand. Um, I put five percent. Oh yeah. <laughs> Well, now it seems great, but you know, at the time in the state of the property, I thought I was overpaying. Um, this was back in April 2021. Um, so 650,000, 5% down as down payment, 2.75% interest rate. Um, from the get go, um, using kind of the broker's figures as well as my own analysis, you know, Cash flow was going to be extremely slim, but because I was putting such a small amount as a down payment, the IRR internal rate of return and, you know, um, my returns were off the charts. So, you know, because I was renting at the time, I didn't mind the smaller down payment. I just wanted something that I could own. And because of the crazy inflation during COVID, you know, rents jumped up the whole market around like 30%. Um, to the point where I was, you know, cash flowing, I want to say a thousand three hundred at the time with an FHA loan. Um, if I if I moved out, you know, I was living in it, so I was living for free. But if I moved out, I would cash flow a thousand three hundred a month. That's amazing, man. And then you know, you, you bought in twenty twenty one. We all kind of know what the market has done since then. Um, so what you bought it at 650, what do you think that fourplex is worth today? Yeah. So actually in August of 2022, um, I took out a HELOC and the property was appraised for 950,000. And I, <laughs> yeah, I found, the, I found the property right next to me that looked identical, sold for 900,000 to some out of state investor. But yeah, I was kind of stunned and you know, I'm still shocked to this day. I, it just doesn't feel real. <laughs> That's awesome. That's super cool. Um, and I also refinanced that property 
into a conventional loan to get rid of that uh, FHA PMI. So now it cash flows $2,000 a month. Um, yeah. And we're able to use the FHA loan again. That, that's something I don't think we talk about enough too, is getting rid of that PMI and making sure that you're staying on top of that. And, you know, if you have that much appreciation in that short of time, you know, you can definitely get that PMI taken off because it's what 75% of what the loan to value is, as long as it's under that threshold. Do you know off the hand, Paul, what that percentage is? Or is it even 80, 80%? I think it's eight, at least it, I'm pretty sure it is in California because I, I did it for my primary residence here and it was 80%. Yeah. So, you know, FHA puts out this list on if it's below this down payment, down payment amount, it's this percent. I want to say it was 0.8% of the total loan. And then that's per month. It's yeah. What are the, what are the steps that you, so you went ahead and just refinanced into a different loan, but what if you were going to keep the same loan? What are there steps someone would do to find out if it is time that they can get the PMI removed? Yeah. So I guess this is a little difficult. Um, I, going back, I guess you can reach out to an appraiser to see if they can do, you know, just a, a computer appraisal and figure out what they think the value is of the property. Um, and yeah, you can pull comps yourself and figure out, you know, based on the quality of your property and um, all the renovations you've done, what you think the property's worth. And if it crosses the threshold you're looking for, whether it's a refinance or a cash out refi, um, if that's feasible. But yeah, to, to your point, I know a couple people that have homes um, that they purchase with less than 20% down and they're still paying, you know, PMI because they didn't know that they can refinance and get rid of that. So, you know, I, I, I tell them all the time, you know, because of inflation, your property has skyrocketed, skyrocketed and your equity has increased. So you should probably look into that. But now with where rates are, I don't know if that's the best idea. But the other option too, Paul, right? And this is what I was saying we did for our primary residence is you don't even necessarily have to refinance, but if you go to your current lender and you say, hey, I believe that either A, my loan balance has decreased or my property value B has increased enough so that I have at least 20% equity in the property, they'll remove PMI for you. So for me, when I did it on my primary residence, I called my lender. I said, hey, uh, my home has appreciated a ton in value. I've, I've paid down the loan balance a bit as well. Can you please reassess what you think my property is worth and tell me what percent my loan balance is in comparison of, uh, to the to the new appraised value? And they don't send out... Actually, I think they did send out an actual appraiser when they did this. Um, and then when they got the, the new appraised value back, they said, yep, Tony, your loan balance is less than 80% of your appraised value. We're going to take off your PMI. And just like that, I, I dropped like, I don't know, I think it was like 300 something dollars off my payment every month for my primary residence. So for all of you guys that are listening, um, if you feel that you have that margin there now, if you feel like you have that spread there, just call your lender and ask them like, hey, I want to get rid of my PMI. And then they'll, they'll go through the steps to get rid of it. Because and think about it from the lender's perspective, they'd rather take off that PMI than lose your loan altogether with you refinancing with someone else. So they're they're you know most lenders I think are going to be open to to doing that for you. Paul, before uh, we kind of move into our segments here, I wanted to ask you, coming from an, an underwriter um, and just an experienced investor using different types of loans, 
What are the benefits of using leverage? What would you say to our rookie listeners as to why they should consider leverage? Yeah. So I think the benefits of leverage, um, in simple terms, you're using someone else's money. Um, so, you know, the, the banks are giving you money at favorable interest rates. Um, and you don't have to come. So you don't have to come out and buy a fourplex for $650, $650,000 cash. You can use leverage and that in itself juices up returns because you're using someone else's money. So this is kind of what, uh, private equity firms do when they do, you know, a leverage buyout. You know, they, they try to put as, little equity into the company as possible. And they try to use as much bank debt as possible with the intentions of, you know, uh, making the company more efficient, more profitable so they can cash out refi in, in the future or sell it to another company. And, you know, I, I kind of think of myself as a less intelligent, but still a private equity uh, fund or firm where, you know, I'm buying these properties with uh, as little money as possible down using lots of leverage and then, you know, getting better tenants, renovating so I can get higher rents um, with the intention that, um, you know, in the future I can get higher cash flow. I can cash out refi. Um, so, you know, the benefits of leverage is again, you're using someone else's money instead of your own. So you can, yeah, put your own equity into multiple properties. Paul, let's talk about how you financed that that second fourplex. We, we know the first one was house hack FHA. Um, at, did you did you reuse your FHA for the the second one since you refinanced the first one, or was it a different funding source? Yeah, so the second um, property is where I really learned about the FHA self sufficiency test. So my goal was to use the FHA loan again to buy this property. Um, but at that point, I spoke with multiple lenders um, with all their loan products, just in case. Um, I actually don't know why, but I just wanted to see what else was out there. Um, but I wanted to use the FHA loan for this uh, property. Um, it didn't pass the self-sufficiency test. Um, so I had this other lender. It's a credit union in Utah. They had a 10% down portfolio loan that they were going to give me. Um, and thankfully I ran the property with multiple different financing scenarios where I was able to quickly say, yeah, let's do it. And yeah, I, I was able to run the numbers. It worked. So yeah, I was able to close on that using that property or that loan. A couple of follow-up questions. So you, you're, you're in Colorado, right? And that's where you live. Yeah. And you said that you found a credit union in, in Utah, um, Help us understand how you found this credit union, you know, in a totally different state. Yeah. So it, it's kind of strange. So there's this, um, company. It's called Academy Mortgage. Um, they connect buyers in the region, um, with, uh, the financing products of this credit union. Um, I don't really know the intricacies of, you know, why they do it that way, but, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's been huge for me to get this 10% down portfolio loan for a fourplex. I mean, that's, that's unheard of just because a conventional loan, you know, you have to put 20, 25% down, um, even if you're owner occupying. So are you giving the information on the deal before they match you with that loan product? Like, is that bank looking and saying, you know what, we'll only do 10% down because it's such a great deal. And we believe that they're getting it 
you know, the purchase price is below market value. Because I, I have seen that before where someone will walk into their local bank and say, I have this property, I can get it for 300000 But if you look at these comps, it's actually as is worth 400000 Will you, you know, only let me put 10% down? Was it a situation like that? Or this was just a, a loan product that was offered no matter what the deal looked like? Yeah. So they actually, I didn't send them, um, you know, my models or anything. They were looking at me as a borrower. Um, so they were looking at my income, my debts. Um, and yeah, I think you, your credit score had to be pretty strong. So above, uh, I want to say 750 to get this product, but yeah, they were only looking at me as a borrower. Well, your uh, social media is about to be flooded with people asking for this contact. <laughs> yeah, um, so I uh, try to keep it hidden. So uh, I use a, a broker, and I told him that I was using this product. I'm like, please keep it under the you know under the blankets and not tell anyone. And he told it to everyone, and <laughs> I think they're swamped with business right now. So that's amazing, man. Um, Cool. Well, kudos to you, man. And, and, you know, Ash and I talk about this a lot on the podcast too, is where, uh, sometimes you get the best loan product, not by necessarily asking for a specific type of loan, but just explaining what your situation and what your goals are and then putting it on your mortgage broker or your lender to find the loan product that best suits your unique situation. And Paula, it sounds like you, you got a, a killer loan product with that man 10% down on a, on a fourplex is, is pretty damn good, man. So kudos to you, brother. All right. So let's jump into our Ricky request line. And for all of our Rickies that are listening, if you'd like to get your question featured on the show, head over to biggerpockets.com forward slash reply. That's biggerpockets.com forward slash reply. And uh, if you got a good question, we might just feature it on the show. So Paul, are you ready for today's question? Let's do it. Ashley and Tony, thanks so much for everything you do. Huge fan of the show. Uh, my name is Jeff Pollock. I live in uh, Truckee, California. And my question for you is around the HELOC. So I have substantial equity in my primary residence, and I'm pulling a HELOC right now and debating whether or not I should be using that money just for something on the shorter term, like a Burr deal, or if it might be all right to put that money toward a longer-term uh, deal, like a long-term rental or even, even a short-term rental. Uh, thanks so much. I want to say that you know, typically when you're taking money from a HELOC, it's better to use it for short-term purposes just because there's that floating rate component. Um, and we don't know where rates are going to go. Um, so I would say I would be more, most comfortable with, you know, uh, a flip or, um, a burr, but it can also work for a long-term rental just so you know that, you know, you can get that deal under wraps. And you can quickly refinance, you know, a year or two down the line into another loan product. So, you know, it can be used um, for an, a long-term investment, but you have to be really sure that you can refinance that into another product. Yeah, and I feel like I'm, I've got a pretty high risk tolerance, but I don't think I'd want to. I don't think I'd want to use a HELOC for something where it's tied up for for too long. Um. Cool, Paul. Well, let's jump to our next segment here, which is the rookie exam. These are the three most important questions anyone will ever ask you in your life. Uh, so are you ready for question number one? Yeah, absolutely. All right. First question. What's one actionable thing Ricky should do after listening to your episode? Yeah. So I would say take an evaluation of your portfolio as well as your personal finances and understand where the risks are and where your advantages are, advantages are. Um, so to clarify, you know, 
would a major repair wipe your cash reserves out? Um, if that's the case, you know, do you have to build up more cash reserves? Do you have access to HELOC for this repair? Um, are you like me and you, you know, you rely on one income? Um, what are some other sources of income that you can bring in? And, you know, another one could be, so I, I was talking about my wife and how she handles the property manager side. Um, I like to DIY um, all my renovations and my father-in-law is a general contractor, um, a commercial general contractor, and he's helped me out on a lot of my renovations because watching YouTube videos only takes you so so far. Um, so having having your team to kind of fill in where you're where you're weak on or you're not as good with, um, so that's a, a risk and a mitigant. Um, and also, you know, your advantages. Uh, are you in the position to be able to house hack? Um, you know. Uh, people with bigger families, it might be harder, but if you're, you know, young and you don't have a family and you're able to house hack, that's a huge, uh, advantage. And once you find that advantage, you should hit it hard. Um, so we try to house hack, you know, that's our strategy going forward because we're in that position, but eventually our family's going to grow. Um, and we're not going to be able to move around. So for the time being, we're hitting that hard. Um, and you know, if you can't house hack, you know, do you have access to capital? Do you have more money to the point where you can just, you know, cash flow with just buying a, using an invest, investment property loan? Um, so really knowing the risks and advantages as it pertains to your real estate and your personal finances is important. Great advice, Paul. So our next question is, what is one tool, software, app, or system in your business that you use? Yeah. So I, uh, like I mentioned, um, I, I like to use apartments dot, or sorry, rentometer to determine uh, market rents of an area when I'm uh, looking at a potential real estate investment, as well as, you know, if I'm in a position where I can raise rents, what are other people getting? And it's a great tool because it shows you the data inputs of what they're using so you can see, you know, how far back um, this data is. So if it's like <clears throat> two years old, then you probably don't want to consider it. If it's if it's something that was listed a few months ago, maybe uh, that's comparable. Um, another uh, one I use is Apartments.com, which is great for um, self uh, investors that are self managing. Um, you know, you you can set up auto or tenants can set up auto pay. Um, you can post the executed uh, lease agreement. So if they have any questions, they can pull that up and, you know, really uh, look at where I'm quoting. If I say like section eight says something about pets, you know, they can see it. Um, so yeah, rentometer and apartments.com for sure. All right. And last question for you, Paul, where do you plan on being five years from now? Um, I want to say that I see myself in the near term purchasing more small multifamily. Um, I do eventually want to get into different flavors of real estate. So, uh, you know, commercial properties, you know, five units and above, short term rentals, um, industrial real estate. Um, I also want to look at other businesses. So self storage, um, car washes. I've been looking at that. Um, but. Yeah, in five years, I want to be able to fully support or fully replace my W-2 income with these kind of streams of income. And, you know, I have no intentions of quitting in the future or living off this income because I like my job. I like what I'm doing. I really just want to have that safety net um, where, you know, if I do lose my job, I can still you know, support my family. 
Love it, man. All right. Before we wrap things up, I want to give a shout out to this week's Ricky Rockstar. And this week's Rockstar is Tierra Savvy. And Tierra says, I'm excited to share that we closed on our second investment property. We've fallen in love with real estate investing and are excited to continue growing our portfolio. Huge thanks to the Bigger Pockets community. We've learned so much through reading about other people's experiences and getting insightful feedback from other investors. So Tierra, uh, congratulations to you on property number two. Yeah. Awesome job. Uh, and thank you so much for sharing. If you guys would like to be our rookie rock star, you can slide into mine or Tony's DMs on Instagram, or you can head over to the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group and you can leave us a question at biggerpockets.com slash reply. Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time to come on here and share your story and share your knowledge. Can you please let everyone know where they can uh, reach out to you and find out some more information about you? Yeah, you can find me on the Bigger Pockets uh, forums, or I also have a, a Instagram account called Leaf Investments, L E A F. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been super fun, um, and thanks Tony for clarifying. I'm not a, a drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> Well, Paul, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And one last thing before we end today's show, uh, I want to give a shout out to an Instagram account. We've been doing this every once in a while and I want to continue to do it so you guys have more real estate investors and maybe not even investors, just people who can help you with life in general or even business skills, things along those lines. So this week's shout out is going to go to Coach Chad Carson. Um, he's actually written a book too for Bigger Pockets, but a post that stood out to me, uh, he wrote, I currently work two hours per week on my rental properties. They produce most of my income. Earlier, it was a lot more of my time. Rentals begin like a startup, big effort, and end up like a blue chip stock, very passive. I still love to work, but only on passion projects and on my time. So Coach Chad Carson, he posts a lot of information about uh, rental properties and how you can purchase your own and what he does to manage his. So make sure you give him a follow. I'm Ashley at Wealth Farm Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. And we will be back on Saturday with a rookie reply. Getting started in real estate can be daunting. There's so much to know, obstacles to overcome, lessons to learn, and risks to avoid. It can all be so overwhelming. If you're feeling motivated to invest, but too overwhelmed to take action, here's some advice. Take it one step at a time. And here's some good news for you. The Rookie Bootcamp is starting on May 20th, and Tyler and Ashley will be guiding you through each and every step until you're the proud, confident owner of your first investment property. Through eight action-packed weeks, they'll guide you step-by-step through those first questions, decisions, and obstacles that every beginner investor must overcome. So if you're serious about becoming an investor this year, head to biggerpockets.com step and join us in the Rookie Bootcamp. See you there.
The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.